welcome everybody to the Popcorn Diets 2019 Oscar Primer. As always, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson. And joining us as usual is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn. And David, before we start, we're starting a new mini-series this year. We're very excited. This is an idea you and I came up with. I think you were the one who triggered it. I really like this idea. But it's the season of awards. And our Oscar Primer episodes are designed to bring a little bit more of an analytical look at what some may call the classy movies, the prestige pictures, if you will. Specifically the ones that are considered to be big players in the upcoming award season leading up to, in this case, the 91st Annual Academy Awards, which are going to be on February 24th in the year of our Lord, 2019. How do you feel about that? I'm excited. Yeah? You I'm know, also excited. I, uh, it's, always, it's always interesting to see where things go. We'll always end up getting frustrated by the Oscars. It's, yeah, it's maybe we'll things, just do a whole primer episode on that. It's one thing you can always uh, count on. Um, but I think it'll be fun. We'll. Uh, I'm excited to go through some of these, watch some movies that maybe some people uh, will hear about when the Oscars happen, right. but maybe did not know about them when they came out in theaters. Right. Um, I'm excited because it's hopefully going to get you to watch a few more prestige movies this year. But we'll see. Maybe I shouldn't raise my hopes too high. We'll see. We'll see. Um, and so for this episode, um, one of the I, I'll tell you right now because um, I thought about when we were in, we when we were kind of planning out this episode, I thought like, well, we should do one for Black Panther because Black Panther is going to be, in my opinion, a major awards contender. I think in your opinion as well. I think it's going to get a big, big push from Disney and Marvel. But everybody knows Black Panther. And so we're going to kind of skip ahead, and we're, I guess we're going to not stray too far ahead here because the first movie that we're doing is a film that was released um, not too long ago. It was released in, on August 10th, and it's Spike Lee's Black Klansman, a movie you and I both saw. Um, and we're going to, again, we're going to take a little bit more of an analytical approach, kind of break down exactly who made the movie possible, um, kind of focus a little bit more on the film itself, less about maybe how it made us feel and more about, you know, things that might make it considered or might, you know, make people consider it to be that prestige type movie. Um, and then predict what we think, what categories we think it will be up for, um, for the Oscars particularly. So, so just to give kind of a rundown, Black Klansman obviously um, is a true story. It's directed by Spike Lee. It's written by uh, Charlie Watchell and David uh, Rabinowitz, who this is actually their, both of theirs, first feature film. They've written a couple of shorts, but this is their first feature film. Um, it was also written by Kevin Wilmot, who has been a co-writer um, co and uh, kind of co-worker with Spike Lee, who also helped write it. And they adapted it from a book by Ron Stallworth who is the main character. He's the the star of the movie. And it stars, uh, it's got a huge, a relatively big cast of people. 
um, two of which are brothers of larger stars that I found interesting. But the main character is John David Washington, Denzel's son. Um, and then you also have, obviously, Adam Driver. You have Lori, uh, Laura Harrier. You have Topher Grace, Corey Hawkins. Alec Baldwin shows up. You have Nicholas Tuturo, who many people know as Brucey from The Longest Yard, John Tuturo's brother. You have Michael Buscemi, who is Steve Buscemi's brother and looks and sounds like Steve Buscemi's brother. And then one other guy that I wanted to point out, who's he's actually a Finnish actor, so I'm going to brutalize his last name, but it's Jasper uh, Pakonin. All right, and that's, again, I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, really, really solid cast all around for this film. Um, first and foremost, David, you know, we have certain things that we want to go over, certain beats. We have about eh, eight, eight or nine different things that we want to focus on a little bit. And, and first and foremost is the overall storytelling and the plot and if it engaged us. And so I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Um, just the, the idea of one of the first black police officers in Colorado Springs, Colorado in the 70s, not only being part of this, but actually <laughs> spearheading this undercover campaign against the KKK, hence the name Black Klansman. Um, how'd you like? How'd you like the story, the plot, how it all the things unfolded? Is that something that particularly caught your eye, or what do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the the story on its own is is obviously just a, a fascinating story in itself. Yeah, um, and so I think um, it was interesting to see uh, the direction that they took it. Obviously, it's a very topical film, right. um, especially with the ending. Um, in it, and so I think it was interesting the way that uh, they kind of developed it and and showed the characters. I mean, it it could be easy to walk into this movie and think it's going to be a certain way that it's sure. going to be overly preachy or overly you know in one direction. I mean, it's Spike. Um, so it's, it's hard not to have that baggage, right? Exactly. So um, I was actually a little bit surprised, um, and and was it was happy overall how they showed some different sides to everything that was going on. Sure. Um, and lended some understanding a little bit more to it as well um, about how this affects more than just you know African Americans or, or Black people. Absolutely. Uh, it affects you know. The Klan isn't just against them. Klan's um, against, yeah, yeah. You know, it's Jews. It's mm -hmm. it's a lot of different people, as well as um, also that not everybody, like you don't necessarily have to be like a Black Panther or that-esque type of character right? Militant. Um, to dislike the Klan and what it stands for and be very much against it. Sure. Um, and so I thought it was interesting. I, I liked um, the way that they took it. Um, throughout the story, and so I, I definitely enjoyed the the way that they took it. They definitely um, the ending definitely felt a little abrupt, I guess. Yeah. To, to jump into that after the way that you had taken the story um, to end with that, obviously, you know, and we'll get into this more. It felt very post production, like added in to definitely, me. Definitely, um, definitely, and I think. I'm, which I think I'm pretty should, sure it was from my research as well. I think we should take the opportunity and just say right away, because this is something we didn't do before, that we're just going to do full spoilers for these. Yeah. Um, because I think that's important. I think to be able to break down these films, we're going to go into full spoilers on these. Um, and particularly, I wanted to mention that because of what you're talking about. 
because the end of the film, I mean, it very clearly tacks it on. One could say, well, the ending felt it felt tacked on. Well, no shit, because the film is set in the 70s and the ending tacks on footage from the Charlottesville rallies um, last year, earlier this year, I think it was 2017. It was fall Um, of 2017. It shows that horrific car crash. It shows the way President Donald Trump reacted afterwards, and it really puts it into a a brutal context Mm -hmm. um, that is, it was, to me, super effective. Because I just, I was like, I found myself very, because I knew it was coming too. You know, you know me, I know the spoilers. Mm-hmm. I knew it was coming and I was like, damn, damn, Spike. Like, I thought it was, I, I it was tacked on though. Like, yeah, you can't the, do well, and the, the interesting thing too about it in, in reading about, because I was interested, as soon as I saw the movie, I kind of was like, you know, it would be hard for me to believe that this was always part of the plan to have that footage at the end of it because I got to believe this film was completed well before when Charlottesville happened, which Absolutely. was, I think, like August or September last year. Absolutely. Um, so I'm like, no way they were still filming at that time. No. I mean, maybe, but you would have to do a pretty good, darn good job editing and all that to get it out by... Um, when did it release? Uh, start of August, right? August. I mean, it was in it was and in it was festivals. in festivals before that. Yeah. So um, to me, it was like no way. This wasn't like this happened. Let's get it into the end of the film. We're right. already you know pretty much done with this film, yeah. but let's find a way to incorporate this at the end. Um, and so I I found that interesting. I did read and and it was from an interview uh, with Spike Lee and I believe um, what's the uh, there was another guy, uh, Barry Alexander Brown, the editor. Oh, okay. Um, so it was an interview with him. And basically, supposedly the story is that Spike Lee wanted it done for Cannes specifically. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and, so, they, and they kept it? Yeah. So they, they, um, they went out of their way to get it done. Like basically sure. it was a really short turnaround that he was given to do it basically a couple weeks to incorporate that in. Sure. Um, but to me, that also says to some point, you know, obviously Spike Lee was thinking of the whole reason we're talking about it right now, potentially awards and other things along that. Not to Maybe. say that, not to say that he's also not trying to hammer home a point as you mentioned, Sure. but you know, I think, you know, there's there's ways you can do that. You didn't need the Charlottesville footage to be able to do that sure. to still show that racism is still present, that the Klan is still present in today. But that was, you know, obviously a very vivid, recent memory of everybody. In Definitely. The- I think it put a instead of putting a period on the film, it put an exclamation point on the film. You know, I think the film is what it is. Um, but that's Spike saying, I mean... Uh, yeah, I think that's exactly what it is, is an exclamation point on the film. And that actually leads us to kind of the next thing that I want to talk about, which is, you know, the director. The director of these films, these big films that come out, you know, the director is the person that puts this whole thing together. They're the general. You know, they might not be the money guy, but they're the one who is is piecing this film together. They're the one who is saying what the editor should do. They're the one who's saying what the actor should do. They have the control, right? And so... I did want to talk about a couple of Spike's flourishes that he's done before that I think are really effective um, in this film. Uh, number one, 
I love how this film is also like a quiet love letter to the black exploitation films of like Shaft and Superfly and all those. Because there is literally a couple of scenes where um, uh, the main character, uh, Ron Stallworth, and his sort of sort of girlfriend Patrice are talking black cinema. And they're they're and it feels like probably a conversation that Spike himself has had maybe at points in time sure. where they're flashing up the posters of like Pam Greer and 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 Shaft and those things. And I really I really like that because it kind of showed the analytics of of those particular types of film under the assumptions of people who have different viewpoints. Mm-hmm. You know, I enjoyed that. Um, I loved uh, some of the camera work that he did, particularly the final shot, that final zoom shot at the end of the two characters and then zooming in on the cross was, to me, like legitimately scary. It put like a, like an, un, it unnerved me. And that's some effective stuff right there. Um, beyond that, was there anything that you caught out of your eye? He uses a lot of slow motion. He uses a lot of fade ins and outs. At the rally, he uses some really good stuff. Is there anything that stuck out to you that was like, man, this feels like a spike thing? Not that we're big spike, you know, uh, connoisseurs or, or sure. experts. I, I think you hit on, touched on most of the things that stood out to me from like a director standpoint. Um, definitely one of the memorable shot, memorable shots that sticks in my head is is the way that he did that even before what you're referencing, the view of the cross, but like the the way that he kind of moved through the hallway up there, um, just focused in on Ron's face, um, going towards the window to see what was out there, obviously, and just being focused on his face as he goes through that hallway sure. um, was definitely interesting to me. And it, it did seem like, I think at times um, throughout the movie, I felt like it was just kind of, not to say standard, because that sounds like you're putting it down, but like it didn't feel like anything special from a like way that it's shot standpoint mm-hmm. and then there was some things that would pop up that were very in your face like artistical in nature in my opinion right. um like that whole scene like a couple parts at the rally uh-huh. and things like that where it kind of went from okay this is like a almost like a not really a buddy cop type of thing because sure. you had that relationship back and forth yeah. and you had the relationship in the police station and that, but that felt familiar in a lot of ways. But then there was those those different points in the movie where it seemed like he was probably trying to hammer home what was going on there where he went a little above and beyond what you normally would do in those situations. Definitely, definitely. I think he's, I think we'll get to this later, but I think he's definitely going to be in contention for the director spot, obviously. Um, Spike is... Spike is Spike, number one. Um, but I think this is this movie has enough relevance. But before we do that, though, kind of going from the director, one of the other things that we, I like to focus on is the performances. You know, what type of performance standouts were there in this film? Um, I think you hear a lot. It's funny, and you might agree or you might disagree, but I think we hear so much about Adam Driver, right? Mm-hmm. And I think even in our first way too early Oscar predictions, we both pegged Adam Driver to get a supporting actor nomination for this film, right? And I think that's still probably pretty accurate, um, but I think one of the best parts about Spike's movies is that these people feel real, mm-hmm. you know? Um, even if they're dumb, redneck, racist, you know, KKK guys, 
you're like, okay, I, I, for me at least, I'm like, yeah, I know at least I've run into people like this before, you know? Um, and that's why I think he picks Michael Turturro and he picks, um, or I'm sorry, Nicholas Turturro or Michael Buscemi because, you know, they're not Steve Buscemi. They're not John Turturro. Um, was there any particular performances that stood out to you that you think, like, this is going to get recognized later? Um, you know, I enjoyed... He, he reminded me pretty much of... I mean, it could have been the same character pretty much, but I enjoyed Paul Walter <laughs> Hosser. Um, Fucking Ivanhoe, the dumbass, yeah, the, the, the borderline... <laughs> I mean, functionally retarded KKK member. You know, and, and to some point, it's it's hard because obviously I don't have much experience with KKK. I would hope um, not. <laughs> so I've never met anybody that I at least knew was a member of the KKK. Sure. And so, like, this movie obviously very much plays up, like, the dumb redneck standpoint of the KKK. That's a real good point, yeah. Um, In a lot of ways, which is... I mean, if we're being frank, from where it's popular, it's most popular is rooted in place dumb where you'll find a, you'll redneck. find a lot of dumb rednecks. Apologies to all our dumb redneck <laughs> listeners, obviously. But slight apologies. you know, I feel like obviously there's some satire in this film, and in the stupidity of some of those characters is, sure. is played up pretty thick. Sure. Um, even in Topher Grace's character, and and Topher Grace was was I enjoyed him in the film. I actually think a lot. I actually. So I think you're half I think you're half right. I think you're 100% correct in that it plays up the the shitty redneckedness of the local Colorado KKK members. Yep. But what it does really interesting is that it makes David Duke who's the leader. He's mm-hmm. the grand wizard of the KKK, a seemingly likable guy. And that's I think the point. Like sure. David Duke is the guy in the three-piece suit. He's the smooth talker. He's the guy who can come out with an empathetic tone to his voice. Over here, you have the, you know, ah, I love white people, racist, stupid idiot. And then over here, you have somebody like Topher Grace, who is the real guy you got to watch out for. Mm-hmm. It's not the dumb rednecks. They're easy to spot. But it's the smooth-talking, well-versed, well-dictated people, the wolf in sheep's clothing that you got to watch. And I actually really found that aspect to be effective. Also, I got to give a shout out to John David Washington. That man is his father's son. There were several moments in the film where I saw a little bit of Denzel come out to play. Just in his his voice, in his affectations, in his mannerisms. Sometimes it was even just a word. All right? I, I, I was hurt from the standpoint of I've watched them for the last three years in Ballers, and so it was hard for me to continue to move away from the image I have of him in Ballers in that film. That's he still f- did a great job. It didn't, it didn't take away from it, sure. but it's still just hard for me to think of him as anything other than that because to date, that's the only thing we've really gotten mainstream of him. I know this isn't his first movie, right. and that wasn't his first you know, acting uh, job, but that's the thing that I know him from. Um, Fascinating. He's in five movies this year, four movies this year. Mm-hmm. Man, he's picking up. This is the year. Buy stock. Buy stock in John David Washington. He's blowing up right now. Um, obviously, I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on this particular 
um, category. But I think one of the things that makes these films, these prestige films, so um, like catnip to, to, the, to these awards ceremony people is the relevance. Is it relevant? Mm-hmm. Right? I think it goes without saying this movie's relevant. Sure. And I think, you know, any question of whether it was relevant, obviously they hammer home pretty hard with Charlottesville in that, you know, a lot of people think of the Klan as being something from years past, like that was years ago Absolutely. and that kind of thing. And and a lot of people until Charlottesville, like I don't think anybody in the general public had the fact that the clan is still out there yeah. and still, you know, it may not be as prevalent as it was and they may not be able to do all the things they used to do. Right. But it is still very much alive. And, and obviously racism is still very much alive. And not only is it alive, but now they don't even wear their masks. Like it's, it's really interesting where like you look at the Charlottesville and like, I, you know, one could make the argument that I, I severely doubt many, many of those people identified as people who share ideologies with the clan. That's not neither here nor there, but like they were all out there, you know. And and this movie, not only in in its um in its ending, not only in that final moment showing all the Charlottesville stuff, but also throughout the film, they talk about like one of these days we're gonna get one of us in the president's house, and one of the and we're gonna make America great. I don't know that anybody says make America great again, sure. but if they don't, they don't get too far off. And then Alec Baldwin is at the very beginning of the film, so you really know, like, okay, <laughs> I know what we're going to be talking about here. But obviously this film is relevant. I think going beyond that, though, the commercial success of this is actually something that is important because not only is this a relevant film, it's entertaining as hell. Sure. Like, to me, I think that a lot of the times, and it's difficult to do in a, in a situation that is so... Um, volatile right now with with KKK and race relations and and civil rights and things like that. That isn't exactly a, a an area that is ripe for humor. Sure, but I feel like they get a lot of humor out of this story. I feel there are a few moments where where I actively was laughing and chuckling at the the ridiculousness of of it all and mm-hmm. the way characters were reacting with one another. Um, how did this movie do commercial commercially? You got the stats for us on this. Uh, well, budget-wise, it was only fifteen million. Not expensive. Um, nope. No. No. Um, box office so far, it's at seventy-two. Hey, that's not million. bad. Um, so yeah, not not too bad. Um, that obviously, this is a film that's not going to do much internationally. I don't even know how much it was released internationally. Right. Um, but as far as numbers break down, it's forty-six domestic, twenty-six foreign. Twenty-six so, foreign. Um, okay. Which is is not a crazy unusual split by any means um but at the same time you know it's probably not going to get a whole lot more outside of the states and i think it'll continue to see it trickle if they decide to re-release it for an oscar bump uh next year it'll it'll make a little bit more but i mean the fact of the matter is is it made 72 million on a 15 million dollar budget so it's it's very much successful obviously the awards buzz and the the critical uh reception has been very uh good as well so i think that that plays a big part in this um but i I think you're right in the sense that um this is a film that is not just a preachy film that you feel like was made purely to just send a message like right some some films when are just so overtly 
like trying to hammer home a message. Sure. Um, that they kind of forget to still make a like quality film, like that an you could entertaining enjoy. movie. Yeah. yeah, I would much rather have a bunch more movies like this that definitely hammer home a very strong point. Sure. Throughout the film, than a bunch of like what we're getting this weekend in Michael Moore's Eleven Nine movie. In his docu- like, well, a documentary. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, last couple things I wanted to talk about before we before we wrap this thing up is the look of the film and the feel of the film. And it's really it's it's this is where we get into sort of visually, obviously, things that kind of tie back to the director's decisions. Um, but that's like cinematography, that's costume design. Like, did it bring you into the world? Um, was it effective in that way? And ultimately, how do we feel about this movie? How do you and I feel? Do we feel like it's um gonna be the the uh, the awards contender that we think it is by having it on, on as our first episode, as our debut Oscar primer episode. Um, do we think that it deserves it, doesn't deserve it, whatever. And I thought I kind of agree with you in that I was looking at some of the cinematography stuff and at times it was it was it was what it was. It really wasn't super impressive to me. Um, there were moments that felt like, it was a grainy 70s kind of cop movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were moments, obviously there are certain spike moments that were visually arresting. Again, going back to the rally and talking about, um, was it Corey Hawkins, I think, mm-hmm. um, giving this big speech and fading in and out of all of the young faces as they're looking up and soaking this information in. Like, that's really powerful visually. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, again, that last shot, that super zoom in in the hallway when they do that moving zoom and they mm-hmm. do that moving zoom. Like, that kind of stuff visually is really impressive. Um, but overall, I don't think there was, like, a lot of shots where I'm like, oh, that's a beautiful shot or, oh, that's a wallpaper shot or that's a perfect shot or or, or things like that. I think it was pretty, pretty spike standard, which isn't necessarily a no. bad thing. no. Right? Would you agree, essentially? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think the only thing, you know, outside of kind of, and we'll talk about kind of potential awards and those types of things, but I don't think this was a, a film that, you know, is going to be nominated for cinematography. Or production design. You know, or production yeah. design. The one outside of, you know, kind of the norm category for it that it may would be something like costume design. I was thinking um, that as well, you know, you bringing know, back the 70s. Bringing back the 70s, obviously, you know, transporting you to that time period and knowing very much what time period you're in. Sure. Um, that's about the only thing I could say. And even that, I, I just don't think it's an, it's going to get end up in that category, but I could see that potentially being in there. The music, while I think the music does a good job in spots of creating tension, or you know those types of things. I don't think it's a big enough factor to be in the conversation as as something that it does either. So I mean, to me, I think you're looking at things like adapted screenplay because this came from the the book. That's obviously where it's it's not original, so it's adapted. So that okay. would be maybe the category that's in. Um, it's going to come down to a numbers thing, I think, with best picture. Um, I think it's got a very good shot to be one of those nominations. Sure. Um, as you mentioned, best director. Actually, I think best director is going to be the tougher one you than think? best picture because you're limited more on number of nominations. Yeah, that's and so true. we've There's got some five, we've got some big 
movies that are supposed to be very good as well with some big name directors um, yep. that are still coming out. And I don't think it's a knock on Spike as much as someone's got to lose out. Um, and just like last year, I think we went through that as well in director in that there was some some big people left off that list. We all um, we always there's always a miss out. I mean, on those things. Case case in point, we didn't get Steven Spielberg nominated for it, and and again, Post was a little bit disappointing by by, from, my, by our standards. by our standards. Yeah. But at the same time, you assume that's a shoe in. So I think um, it's not a knock on him if they if they don't. Um, but I could see that. And then for me, I think the other ones would be maybe. Um, maybe in acting, whether it's driver for supporting or maybe Washington for uh, lead. But again, those are just such tough categories because you're limited to five. Sure. And, you know, it always seems like we've got a bunch of people. So I think it's hard to call them a shoe in for any of the acting categories. Sure. I don't think any of them were performances like Three Billboards last year where you were like, this is going to get a bunch of acting right, nods right, because right, this right, is right. an acting movie. I didn't feel like this movie was as much like a like acting movie right, per se. Right. Um, there isn't really any <laughs> – there isn't any of those. I can't think – even with Driver, I can't think – we look for the Oscar clip, the Oscar clip performance, mm-hmm. right? The the from from Spotlight Mark Ruffalo they mm-hmm. knew yeah that clip you know yep. the overacting clip that's gonna get played at the Oscars yep. and I really can't think of any of them and and maybe that's why it came out in August just like Get Out came out in February last year um, true in that it's not your traditional if it gets into those conversations if it gets those nods it's truly a testament to what the overall film is as a whole definitely in that it didn't go for those traditional tropes that get you those oscar nods that True. have i mean even with get out like you kind of knew they were if you thought through it they probably had to use the the chair scene right. um, because that's probably the most iconic scene from yeah. it yeah but at the same time like that's not your traditional like overacting scene yeah you know? it's actually a very closed quiet it's all in the face it's yeah. true general acting yeah and you're right i think you're right about this i think much like get out was a social thriller that's what jordan peele considered it this comes out very much as it's a social cop crime movie mm-hmm. you know and you and i love a good investigation you know work in the case sure. undercover type movie and it hits all of those beats while also being a true freaking story <laughs> about a black KKK member infiltrating the Klan. Like, that's wild. And so let's wrap it up here. I know we talked a little bit about, I mean, obviously we went through some of these. Um, adapted screenplay, it's got a shot. And these mm-hmm. are really, does it got a shot? Yep. You know? Picture, definitely got a shot. Director, got a shot. I throw in costume design with you because I think it's got a shot. What do you think about makeup and hairstyling? Maybe not so much? Maybe? I think it depends on how many like Victorian movies come out. Between yeah, I mean, I without having the list of all the movies that are coming out, it's hard to say. I mean, nothing stood out to me. Obviously, the afros were very much <laughs> present that Hell take yeah. you back to that time and that kind of thing. And, yeah, um, and obviously played a very big part of the film, like sure. what they were creating there. Sure. Um, I just don't know that that's enough to get it's it. Not, but it, it's but not, again, sometimes hairstyle in that is just a barren category and ones that we wouldn't traditionally think of 
get those nods. I mean, last year was Darkest Hour for obviously a big makeup job. Yeah. Wonder for obviously a big makeup job. And then Victoria and Abdul. Yeah. So come on. And so, I don't, and I just, if you look at those three, I don't think this movie again, fits and, in. And I, and I think we, we felt last year that it was very much a down year. Like, yeah. Literally, Darkest Hour got in because of one person having being transformed to look like Winston Churchill right, and right. they did a fantastic job sure but if that's all it takes it just seems and and wonder even more so in that just one person one person literally literally like you weren't even transporting people to like an older age like no. dark darkest hour <laughs> was suburbs. like your present day <laughs> suburbs basically and you make a kid looked I agree you know so um I'm gonna put down supporting actor I do think driver's got a shot I'm gonna put down um, editing, because I think you always gotta gotta have a shot with editing. I did like the score, but I don't think it's gonna be strong enough or memorable enough. I like that it had a good cop. I like that, and so I think that's about all that it fits in. I mean, it's not gonna be big into sound. It's not gonna be big into production design. I doubt. Um, and so with that, we have it listed for possibly six nominations. Adapted screenplay, supporting actor, costume design, editing, directing, and best picture. Overall thoughts, I know that you enjoyed this film. Not as much as I did. I love this film. I really thought it was really powerful. I thought if you like crime movies, if you like cop movies, um, if you like 70s style cop movies, and hell, man, if you hate the KKK, you should probably see this movie. I think it does some really good stuff. I think it's one of Spike's best movies in years. Sure, I would agree. Um, yeah, we're not doing popcorn ratings on this, but I love I love the film. Absolutely. I I you know my last thoughts on it is I think again because I think one of the things that it has going for it is it's different than your traditional Oscar film, um, which can go one of two ways. It can either really help it. In the way that I think Get Out Get Out was helped last year. Yep. In that, you know, and we always complain about the lack of diversity in the nominations, but I think there are times where, um, you know, that starts to help as long as it still checks a couple of those boxes. As long like, as it's a get, good movie. Get Out Get Out was a different type of movie. It was based on its release time, based right. on the topic, based on, you know, what it was about. Right. But it still kind of checked that box of social relevancy. Um, and so I think with Klansmen, it's very much different. It doesn't have those Oscar bait type of things within there. Sure. But it still checks that box of social relevancy, which I feel like, for better or worse, the the voters in the Oscars, the Academy, um feel better about themselves when they pick something that's relevant. They're going to gravitate towards it, you know? They're going to gravitate towards someone like Spike, who is a pillar in the filmmaking community, who maybe not has, has never really had the commercial success, but has always had a level of critical success. They're going to gravitate towards the story, not to mention the fact that, like, I'm all for bringing these socially relevant films in as long as they are good films, as long as they are entertaining, like you said, as long as they tell an effective story, you and I are in on it. And just like Get Out, not only gave them diversity, literal diversity um, in Jordan Peele and Daniel Kaluuya and all that, but it also gave us a horror thriller film 
up for major awards. And that's the, I mean, you know me, that's the diversity that I love as well. Um, and this is the same thing. It's going to give us a Spike Lee cop detective anti-KKK movie up for some major awards. And I like that a lot. Um, but with all of that being said, again, we have it going up for six awards. And that's going to do it. We're going to do a little bit shorter episodes for these Oscar primer episodes. You're going to look for these all throughout the fall, all throughout the winter, up until February 24, 2019. Remember that if you want to get these primer Oscar primer episodes from the Popcorn Diet, subscribe to the podcast. Definitely go wherever you're listening to this podcast. SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google, Android, Apple, whatever. Hit that subscribe button and you're going to get these episodes popping in weekly, bi-weekly, as often as we can make them, as often as we can see these movies. Give us a rating, share with your friends. Also, follow us on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, at The Popcorn Diet. And then last but certainly not least, check out our website, popcorndietpodcast.com, for all of our episodes, all of our articles, our Oscar predictions, our reviews, all on that website. Remember, put it in your bookmarks, popcorndietpodcast.com. But... For our very best, prestigious Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn, I am your very best, prestigious, good movie buddy, Rick Williamson. And we'll see you next time for another Oscar Primer mini episode on the Popcorn Diet. Adios.